0: Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And I am Johnny Herbert.
1: And welcome back to Lift The Lid, the podcast that takes you inside the Formula One paddock from a driver's perspective.
0: Now, I really like these episodes, Billy, because it's where we get to hear from you, the fans. Yes, it's time to press the button on the steering wheel and open up our team radio and answer your questions.
1: Hold on tight as we lift the lid on another podcast. So, Johnny, Team Radio episode is back. Yeah. The first thing I want to know is how are membership sales of the Johnny Herbert fan club coming off the back of our last few episodes? You having a good week? Uh,
0: No, they've gone down. Gone down? They've gone down. I've got a lot that have left. Didn't agree with things I I said last time around. But that's (laughs) that's why we do this. That's the whole point. (laughs) What, to lose fans? (laughs) I thought we went to gain fans from doing this, mate. Well, that's the idea. Yes, that is the idea. But (laughs) yes, it didn't quite sort of work out for me last time around. Maybe we need to look at the drawing board on this one. I (laughs) know. That's the fun part of it. I enjoy that part of it. No, but it was good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one.
1: I mean, last week, mate, uh, I don't want to bring it up again, but I thought we almost lost you on that Lewis and Max question. I mean that that seemed to break you in the moment
0: yes it did Have it you did. recovered well actually i didn't get as many as a of repercussions from it than i than i expected to be perfectly honest so so i think there was a bit of an understanding of the changing of the guard so i thought that was yeah that was a positive thing from it but it's but it's interesting talking about this stuff billy because it's it's you know we know what it's like to be in the cockpit but trying to then try and explain what sort of goes on with within that cockpit is a very hard thing and things do change things do get more difficult um as time goes by
1: well uh
0: we've got a whole
1: set of new questions for this week mate so uh do you want to do you want to kick it off for us well, then. We got?
0: yeah right first one. Right. what do you think has been the most important design innovation in f1 history that's from lucy
1: wow Starting off with uh, a simple, straightforward question, that one, yeah, Lucy. Whoa, no, yeah. I I don't know, off the top of my head. I mean, we, we've had all sorts throughout the years, haven't we? Diffusers, yeah. we've, you know, had cars with six wheels. Indeed. <laughs> you name yeah. it. Time it's time, been... four on the
0: front, four on the rear. We're at a sort of variation of yeah. that. i I tell you what, I'm going to have to go back to the 60s and back to... Colin Chapman at Lotus, wings. Colin Chapman. When you think
1: of you know design and innovations, he's up there for sure, isn't he, mate?
0: Yeah, and again, when the wings went on before the world car, you know, Colin was a uh, was a was a, a flying nut. So he liked his flying, and it was just the obvious situation of going right. I fly, and it goes up. Actually, if we turn the wing the other way around, it will go down. So it will push the car into the ground, and I think that was sort of the philosophy that, that sort of Colin had, and it it's still there today. So I think Connie Jackman, nineteen sixties and wings, one four one cars.
1: It was funny, I was sat there just now, you know, thinking in my head about all these weird and wacky ones, you know, I was going wacky they're better. Like in my head six six wheels, eight wheels, you know, that's like just seems so far from normal design innovations that you they're the ones that jumped out to me but you said wings on a formula one car and now i can't think of formula one cars without wings so i think you've definitely nailed the brief on that one mate i think that for me when you look at you know across from like you say that's in the 60s if you look to where we are now you still have a front and rear wing on a formula one car so it's obviously a design innovation that stuck that one so i think johnny's won that first question he's absolutely absolutely nailed the brief there
0: I think so, Billy. I got in there quick so I thought that was the only real yeah. one. But Then there, there are slick tires because obviously in the everything before in the sixties and before the sixties they were always treaded as well. It was yeah. only really in the seventies, I suppose, where slick tires really did sort of take off, and that made a massive, massive speed difference as well. You, you do wacky stuff. You've done the the four, the the six wheelers. Then I did the fan car.
1: Yeah, the fan you car, know, a
0: fan. All a Formula 1 car just seems absolutely bonkers. But my Lord, did it work when they got it on track? And it worked, unfortunately, so well when Gordon Murray designed that Brabham that it did one race, Nicky of won it, and then he got banned. <laughs> well, hey, well, the other team said it was dangerous because it was flicking up stones and dust on the around the circuit. But that was just, you know, madness. But it was brilliant, you know, just a very simple sort of design to to you know, create the downfalls that a Formula One car never had seen before.
1: Yeah, I think there's, like you said, there's been so many across the years, but yeah, I think uh, wings on a Formula One car, fairly important. I think if you took them off a modern day car, we might run into a few issues. Yes, I think think, think think we would. We'll stick with that one. I think you've done well there. Next question we've got is from Laura and it's asking about our rookies And who's the standout from the season so far? Last time out, Logan Sargent, for me, kept it clean and a good battle with the McLarens. Yeah. That's from Laura. Um, Standout rookie drivers. I mean, yeah, Logan, I'd say out of the three of them, between him, Oscar Piastri and Nick DeVries, he's probably had the more consistent first two races. You know, in the first race of the season, finishing 12th, you know, just outside the points, but, you know, a strong race, in williams and then last time out yeah he had some good battles um with the yep. mclaren so i'd probably say off the first two races logan's probably had the upper hand i mean he was super unlucky in my opinion to miss out on getting out of q1 in saudi arabia for yep. just sticking his his wheel across that white line on the the run to the start finish line and that lap would have been would have been strong enough to to see him through and potentially out qualify Alex Albon in the process. So yeah, if he'd done if he'd actually done that, then you would have, you'd be sat at home going, "Wow, that's that's super impressive." Yeah. So yeah, for me, Logan has so far, but we saw glimpses of Oscar Piastri in Saudi Arabia, so he's one to watch.
0: Well, I'm going to go Oscar because I think Oscar. Have never you? saw Oscar to we, in, in Bahrain? No, no. So we ne- he never really got that sort of opportunity, but he raced. Brilliantly, and that was with obviously that was with Logan as well, right near the end Mm -hmm. of the race. But it was also with Lando, you know, we all know how good Lando uh, is, and he raced and uh, beat him on uh, Sunday in Bahrain. So I think Oscar's showed a lot of a lot of has shown a lot of pace. He did in Bahrain, but Mm -hmm. we never really saw it because of the issues that he had. But then I think he did an absolutely brilliant race in, in Saudi. So I think, yeah, you're right. I think Logan and Oscar have been the standout standout one so one who's probably the the one I thought would be the one we're talking about has not come off of our tongues at the the moment De yeah Defries. I mean I thought he would be the one we were talking about but at the moment it really hasn't materialised yeah and the minute he's not
1: had the strongest starts this season Yuki seemed to have quite comfortably had the upper hand and I thought that would be a a close rivalry I thought Yuki would still you know, have his work cut out dealing with Nick De Vries, but doesn't seem to be the case so far. Yeah, not at all. But yeah, I think between Oscar and Logan, I think they're the two standout standout drivers so far. Yeah. Like I said, I would give the edge to Logan because I think you know his teammate Alex Albon. You know, the fact that he potentially had he, or he did have the pace to out qualify him without just for going over that white line on the run to the start finish line, that would have been sort of in the bag for him. Yeah. That gives me confidence.
0: You've raced Logan. Yes, raced with Logan. Yeah, I've
1: raced, and Oscar, yeah, I've raced both of them. Oh, okay, so what can you tell us about well, both of them then? So I raced... It's a bit of an idea. I, I say I raced them, I raced them the year of my accident, so in 2017. So we did right. a grand total of four races together <laughs> at the start of the season. So four out of 30 I managed to, to be involved in with, with those two. Shared the podium with both of them um, at Donington Park. Good good racing drivers both of them they they were very raw I'd say when I was racing them I was in my second year of Formula 4 and they were in their first so you know they were new to you know yep. slicks and wings and stuff like that but they hit the ground running both of them they both showed the raw speed from the get-go um I'd say when I raced with them Oscar was probably the more all-round driver in Formula 4 in British Formula 4 you used to be able to after qualifying, you'd be able to see the data from the pole app. Yeah, it's a bit of a new, newish concept, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure actually if they still do that in Formula Four. But yeah, as like sort of a tool to develop drivers, you basically right. used to get a fifth. Uh, I think it was like a 10-minute window with your data overlaid with the pole app data. So you, but they would take away a lot of the data channels. You'd basically be able to see throttle, brake pressure and 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 stuff like that and steering angle and that would be about it so it'd really just be it was just used as a tool to help develop all the drivers at a young age which i think is a good concept really you know if you're in a you know potentially there were some drivers that are in teams with just one car you know that's just up to them to figure things out and that can be quite difficult against some of the the bigger teams that have got four drivers that are all comparing data after every session so um yeah it was quite useful to, to be able to see that sometimes, and yeah, I'd say Oscar was probably for me more of a, the all round driver. He went on to finish second in that championship in Formula Four that year, uh, and Logan finished third. So you know they were nip and tuck, but you know right. they were both right up sharp end.
0: Right, who won that championship?
1: uh It was my one of my well really close mates. Who I've raced him since I was seven. Uh, Jamie Caroline. Oh, okay. Yep. British driver, he, yeah, he raced in Formula 4, won that. He was in his second year as well as me. So, yeah, he, he did a mega job that year. I think he got something crazy, like 11 wins out of um, 30 races. So, yeah, he he had the upper hand on on the pair of him that year. But, you know, that's the way motorsport works. Sometimes, you know, you can mention like names like Oscar and Logan who managed to make it, but there are a lot of talented drivers that, that don't, really.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. What is a, there is another question, but I'm going to skip one. Because I think this follows on the okay. wild. So can you name some of the drivers you both raced against that didn't make it to Formula 1, but should have? And that's from Ananda. Good
1: question. Very good. Good question. Now, you, you go first, mate. I've had a little brief talk
0: about that. Yeah. What, well, what'd you again, think? Uh, what'd you think? the one guy that never quite got the opportunity for whatever reason, just not in the right place of the lifetime, uh, was multiple uh Le Mans winner, Tom Christensen. Wow! Yeah, Tom has or had a knack of Jess being very consistent for one, very very quick uh, on a one app as well. But the consistency he had in a race situation was 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 brilliant. Um, and Tom was one of those that I think he tested for Jaguar, if I remember correctly, when Michelin were sort of doing a little bit of tire testing. But that was sort of as far as it as far as it went. It's really bizarre. It sort all of came up the younger formulas and was was very successful but it just didn't sort of materialize i think just because there weren't seats i think it was just purely down to that and i think there was a couple of seasons where that sort of happened and then once that situation is there of course then you start sort of diverting or looking elsewhere and then that's when sports cars came into his life and he's you know he's done brilliantly in, uh, in all the sports car racing he's done with the LMS in America. Um, and of course, Le Mans were the success that he's had there. So Tom was one of those. There was a, there was one other guy. He did all the McLaren... Or he did... It was in the very early days of the Honda Turbo testing in Japan. And he, he did very well in F42 uh, in Europe. Um, he went to Japan and started. He was racing in Japan for, for many, many years. So I actually raced against him, I think, for one... One season in his in his latter years, but I was always told he was mighty quick. Jeff Lee's, Jeff Lee's Jeff was Lee's? A, okay, yeah, I've not heard that name to yeah, be honest. English, English guy, uh, as I said, but he was really mighty quick, and he was up against some real tough, tough cookies um, <clears throat> when he did the F two. But we it just ne- again never really materialised for him. But McLaren and Honda realised how good he was as a test driver and speed that he was still able to do. And he did all that all that work out, out in Japan with a few other drivers uh, as well, uh, and then I suppose my last one. I just do do it very briefly. Is uh, Burn Burn the Irish the Irishman the Irishman, well yeah, who was one of those drivers that sort of was so so quick when he went a the car for the very very first time, and he did exactly that when when he had his first opportunity. He got a couple of chances to race in Formula one but it was in teams that were never really really good enough to be able to sort of give him that sort of that opportunity but you know he was a driver that was fantastic in a race car and i think he did a lot of stuff out in the in the states and Tommy band was that mad yeah no it's interesting to, to
1: hear those names because they're like names that i love my motorsport but some of those names i hadn't heard so right it, it is kind of i guess it's it's kind of scary in a a way that you know you can have guys like that that are so talented that you know some people don't even know their name in relation to the sport when you know on it with another set of circumstances they could have been ended up being one of the greats that's just how thin the margins are in sort of the world of motorsport and you know finding the right opportunity so you know yeah, it's, it's interesting it's, 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 it's good to give them a bit of credit and recognition yeah, well
0: yes exactly i think that's the important thing billy because you know these guys sort of sacrificed a lot to try and get you know into four wheel i never quite sort of worked out tommy did get there but um yeah there's drivers that should have but the problem is like i said with timing there are only at the moment there are 20 20 seats 20 seats yeah you know we've got people like Fernando Alonso you know in his 40s and he's still there still in the cockpit so of course he's taking another one seat away from the youngsters coming along the but there's all the other drivers that are that have earned it the, the, the young generation that are there at the present time and it's a good strong generation as well and I suppose you know Lewis is the next one I suppose with Fernando in the next couple of years those seats will come available for the next the next big seats whoever that may be
1: yeah no i think there's some some good ones in there mate that's our kind of our views on you know drivers that didn't quite make the cut of formula one but you know had the potential to get there um we've got another question here from from james and this says out of the current grid who would you most like as your teammate what are your thoughts on that mate have you got any thoughts on the grid who you'd like to be a teammate for me i've got two thoughts on this you could go with whoever you think is the slowest on the grid but you could also out yourself and call it a mouth who you think's the slowest formula one driver on the grid if you want to be brave enough to say that yeah. you crack on johnny but i'm if gonna I've go with this, are you someone up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's one theory well one route you could go down but you know i like to challenge myself and i was teammates with in carton so i want to go with george russell i think right. two brits i've been teammates with him before you know and i think that would be a, a good little combination yeah so johnny who's the
0: slowest driver on the grid <laughs> now you brought it up i never brought it <laughs> up so you never, <laughs> answered it, but you never answered it and i'm not gonna answer it whatever name he says that's who he's going for oh no 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 i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for someone that i would be so interested to see what he does in a car and i just do that purely because i think he's the fastest one at the moment and that's max just purely on understanding and then visually seeing it on the data and then trying to apply it myself but then actually sort of getting out of the car shaking my head going i don't know how he does that (laughs) i
1: I respect the fact that you'd be willing to give it a go up against max verstappen because i reckon there's a few drivers on that grid that would go no i don't fancy
0: a bit of that no And, and, and again i get that and i think we get that but it's there are there are situations that sometimes you can't shy away from it, and I think I think my time with with Michael at Benetton was a very similar thing. I had the horrible situation of Lotus, who died at the died out at the end of of ninety four, and then the opportunity. I had the opportunity at Benetton with Michael. Yeah. It was just I knew it was going to be hard. It was worth a it was worth a go. I'm, sh- I'm glad I did it. Because I think I benefited in many other respects, maybe not in that particular season.
1: And if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best, haven't you, Johnny? So, you know, at one stage or another, you you have to, you know, have to back yourself to be able to pull out performances better than anyone. And
0: we've seen that with, you know, drivers in the past, you know, Senna and Prost, for example, the two best drivers probably at that time fighting, fighting each other. So it's not the first time we've ever seen that. We saw Nigel and Prost at Ferrari. Uh, as well and then you can sort of go you know further back as well well you know you've, you're right you've got to you've got to challenge uh, yourself and you know going back to Lotus probably in that, the late 70s and Mario Andretti and he became world champion in a team that was very much sort of working to make Mario become that world champion. And it was, you know, it was, you know, interesting times because, you know, he was up against a really talented young man that was sadly we we lost him in uh, in Monza, and that's something that is really, really difficult to to see when all this talent is is out there, but never quite get that opportunity to show their full their full form, and Mario showed it. But I think that the whole situation was difficult because that talent was Ronnie Peterson. You know, Ronnie was a very special, special talent. But you know, it was a massive battle that they both had that season. So there's many, many years where you get different, different drivers that sort of have this, you know, tie where they have to sort of battle against, like you said, Billy really the best.
1: Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, I completely agree, mate. You've like you say, if you want to be yeah. the best, you've got to be the best. Uh, going to take a quick ad break. Uh, When we come back, we'll have more of your questions.
0: Get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary
1: welcome back to the podcast moving on to the next question we've got lined up and this is from jack it says if you could relive one moment from your racing career what would it be and why that so one moment that, is there any moments i guess that stand out to you races that you you had a good result or you know something particularly special happened for me it would be um the winning the Grand Prix. that race i loved love that race i love that circuit you know right. street circuit and that was probably my best performance in a racing car And if it wasn't that, the only other moment that stands out to me, um, and this is probably my best single lap of my career, I'd say, was the year after my accident, going back to Donington Park and getting pole position at Donington, my first time being back there since the crash. That, that for me, had nothing to do with actually the crash itself or where it was at. I just felt that that was my best qualifying performance of my career, you know getting pulled by, I think, a quarter of a second or whatever it was at Donington. It was just yeah, yeah, one right. of those times where everything clicked and I was sort of comfortable with the car in the zone and sort of, yeah, felt like I got the, the most out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, mine's, mine's quite simple because obviously the British Grand Prix, 95, that's the one that's set because it's my yeah first Grand Prix after all the years of dreaming about that moment coming. Uh, and finally, finally, it came there. Uh, in 95, but it wasn't my best race. No, absolutely not. And my, I think my best race I ever had, I finished fourth, uh-huh. which is in 1999 at the Malaysian Grand Prix for Stewart Grand Prix. That was the best race that I sort of ever uh-huh. did.
1: Is that just because the car wasn't capable of being, you know, podium worthy? So you felt you, like you got everything out of it?
0: No, because the car was good that season. And Rubens had done a really good job throughout. And, it was just the time where everything clicked because of because of everything we've both sort of been through with the accidents that we had I can always remember what it's very vague but I can always remember what I was able to do in the car just sort the, of the pedals and it was always like the tips of your toes and when you break in very very late in wet conditions for example you could be right on the very very edge but your judgement and feel was just tingly and alive and you knew exactly what you were doing at that time. And then after the accident, that all disappeared because the way my feet all got sort of battered, that sensitivity sort of completely changed. And it became very... Yeah. I had to work at it way, way more. Mentally, I had to work at it in a very, very different yeah. way. And it only came... And I wish I knew... And this is where the this brain we've got in our, our cranium is a very clever thing because of all the races I did, 160 I did... There was one race where that came back, all those feelings I had before the accident, and that was that one race in Malaysia. I have no it, idea why. It frustrates the hell out of me that it happened. But I can't work mm. out what the what the reasoning for it was. And it's and that you couldn't get that feeling back again. Yeah, but it was frustrating because well it's there, but I, I couldn't I couldn't work out how to get it there every time I got back in a car just because of all the issues i was having in the in the footwell of a of a a racing car so it all came back on that just that one weekend very frustrating but nice all the same that i still have that i still remember it now it was just a very nice a nice feeling to have malaysia yeah malaysia 99 which was really really nice okay that's cool to hear man yeah very cool right so best driver turned team boss can drivers be good team bosses and that's from Bobby.
1: Best driver team boss. I mean, Toto Wolf has had some experience of you okay. know being a, a driver himself when yeah. he was younger.
0: Christian. And,
1: yeah, Christian as well. Franz Tost. Yeah, Franz Tost. So I'd say there's quite a few that have had some experience of... Alan Prost. ...actually being around a race car. Yeah, Alan Prost for a while. I, I'm yeah. just going to go with a simple answer. The first one that popped into my head and say Toto Wolf. Yeah, it depends what level of racing driver you you guys are kind of mentioning when you when you say best driver term team boss because you know are you if you I don't know if they're talking about ex Formula One driver level you yeah. know drivers because that there's narrows it than... down a little bit. Yeah, it does narrow it down a bit. Jackie <laughs> Stewart. Yeah. So, but I go Toto Wolff because as a team boss, I don't think there's been many more. And many other team bosses that have had his level of success.
0: Uh, well, there's probably one who's probably had a little bit more, possibly more success, a little bit of a class success, I guess. You probably then could say Christian.
1: Yeah, Christian. He's got some longevity, hasn't he? And in his new role, he's been there for a while.
0: I, I think that the main thing you have to have as an ex, an ex, an ex driver is still the ability to have a business head. Yeah. To be able to. Like Toto, you know, Toto has been very successful in the financial world because he's had a particular way and mindset that he's had to be able, you know, to be able to to do very well in that. But that there is a crossover into how Formula One works as well because you've still got to manage that money that you have. It doesn't matter you have all the money in the world, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're just going to win because of that no. you still got to be able to manage that so i think you know someone like christian someone like toto Franz Toss, alan cross they've all got slightly different different elements to their strengths but i su- i suppose i'm probably i'm probably going to go it's not out of the box but i'm probably going to say a man who had a, a, a knack of being fantastic in a race car but he was so far ahead in 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 his corporate mentality. I mean, years ahead of everybody else. I think it was Jackie Schiller.
1: Yeah, that is definitely, definitely worth a mention isn't he?
0: 1973 was his last 4-1 Grand Prix last year in 4-1 and he's still there in the paddock now
1: And he's sharp as ever. Every time I see him Johnny in the paddock, he's you know, he's got clients with him he's always doing the Rolex tours in the yeah, paddock, yeah. you know, with big crowds of people and he's just I, it's really cool to see yeah. someone who's still operating at that sort of level
0: yeah and i, I know and i know sir jackie definitely watches our podcast and sir jackie yeah <laughs> you there's a well factor about you and there is a well yeah factor about him he's an aura about about yeah. sir Jackie, that's for
1: sure yeah and he's done a lot in the sport as well other than being a team boss you know he's done it a lot for safety and he still does a lot you know around the dementia and formula one you know yeah and, th- and that side of things, raising awareness for it. So yeah, he's a man that's got a lot on his plate and he has for years, but he, he does a pretty good job of juggling it all and doing his thing.
0: Yeah, a race winner as a driver and a race winner as a team owner with his son, Paul.
1: Not bad going that, Johnny, is it? Yeah, I gave him that win. Yeah, you can see the little finger point to yourself, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But moving on.
1: <laughs> Go on,
0: the next one then, Billy.
1: Right. We've got one from Joe. If you could bring back one track to the Formula One season, which one would it be? I don't know if the, you would agree or not, but I'm going to go with Brands Hatch because that's my local mm. circuit. I absolutely loved driving the, the Grand Prix circuit at Brands Hatch. I mean, that's one of my favourite British circuits, I'd say, across the calendar. It's tough one to, to judge between that and Donington Park for me because I like both those circuits a lot. I love fast flowing circuits. Um, that's just like always been my sort of circuit. I've I've thrived that and and enjoyed driving the most. So I think Brands GP gets the edge for me.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm probably actually you know, I was trying to think sort of elsewhere elsewhere, but actually you're right. Brands Hatch, mega, absolutely brilliant. Just because of the challenge of it. My yeah. first actual driving a Formula One car was actually was on the Indy circuit. It's only on the one point one mile, or whatever it is circuit never the grand prix circuit but the first time i saw a 401 one car there was 86 i think it was with nigel mansell one of the williams but in the old turbo turbo era as well bulkers absolutely unbelievable thousand horsepower plus and those things were just can only and to... again it's all because there's basically sleepers all the way around the circuit effectively just banks that's the only thing that you're you normally know, gonna hear it's a sort of row of tires but that was sort of about it and the runoff was, what, yeah. about three metres, maybe? Four metres, maybe? <laughs> a <little bit laughs> Not more a lot. Paddock, but just unbelievable to throw a Formula 1 car through those unbelievable, brilliant corners that they got at Brands Hatch. So, yeah, I'm going to go with you as well, Brands Hatch. Yeah, definitely so.
1: Yeah, nice to have another British circuit on the calendar yeah, as well, wouldn't it, would it be? be? I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I think I'd absolutely love that. And that actually leads nicely onto our one of the last two questions we've got which is would you like london to host a grand prix and if so where would you want it to be positioned and that's from ashley thoughts on a london grand Prix? I like it Dad. yeah it would be a good thing to happen just figuring out where in london and how it would work that's obviously the difficult part
0: well if we're thinking about sort of right where's the perfect place for it it's got to be in the center it's gotta be a proper yeah. proper street circuit. The Mao has got to be sort of part of that. Yeah,
1: Buckingham Palace. <laughs>
0: yeah. I go around Buckingham Palace. I don't know if I go left or right. It would it would wouldn't it? It would be awesome.
1: It'd be visually it would be stunning, wouldn't it? To be watch Formula One cars fly around.
0: I can't see it ever happening. I think there is so much no. work have to be the matter of uh, traffic lights and little islands that are in the middle of the middle of the road they've got to be taken away i think
1: formula one would become the most hated oh, yes. sport in oh, the world yes, johnny <laughs> and the traffic's bad enough in london at the best of times yes and i think that would probably top a lot of people put them over the edge and they'd never watch
0: right. Formula one again yes but the, the question yes would you like london to host it I've, yeah absolutely yeah i agree you can move it further out or out i know there was talk around the olympic park at one point as well Again, the whole the whole infrastructure of 401 I think would be mind boggling for London. And you're absolutely right. There'd be a lot of haters. Well haters of us. <laughs> we don't we don't <laughs> yeah. want that. We don't we don't need that. We don't need that. Silverstone, no. they do a good job. Yeah. Okay, and i will do the one more. Right. If you had the power to bring in new regulations to the school, I like this one. Uh what would you do to make it even more competitive? That's from feel. Hmm.
1: I mean, even more competitive. I mean, I guess you could make the rules more simple in in certain effects. You know, like what they've kind of tried to do with the new regulations where, you know, they got rid of all the sort of as much ink, their their little tiny detailed parts of the car where you had like little flaps here and there and stuff like that. I think, you know, when I think about old school Formula 1, you know, the cars looked a lot more simple back in that, that time. And I think that would probably translate to slightly closer racing. But I think it's kind of... That would feel like maybe a step backwards in time as such. So I don't... I I, I guess I maybe that's not the right approach to go with it. But I just want the, it to be simple enough where you don't need 150 million worth of R&D to find a couple of attempts of a second sort of thing where, <laughs> you know, the, the time's easier to find...
0: Yeah, it's a different. It's a difficult one, Billy, because it's like like twenty twenty six when the sort of the fuel changes. You know, F one will do a fantastic job with that development of that sort of new combustion fuel. So that's where F one is very, very good at when there is an issue or a problem, or finding a way around that problem and actually making that problem yeah. become totally irrelevant. So, so hopefully with all the situation we have with electric cars or or biofuels and synthetic fuels, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have the the world's greatest combustion engines in the world. You know, the efficiency of these engines is unbelievable, and that's something that Formula One has created. It will feed through eventually, for sure, because the technology will be understood much more, and it'll be cheaper uh, as well to to finally be able to use that. So all the different ingredients allow F1 to sort of I don't know make the world a better place and I think that's where I think 2026 onwards would be very interesting to see exactly how that how that works out but what would I do yeah more competitive I look at it slightly different if you're just doing the fundamentals of a car you know you could sort of say well let's all have Mercedes-Benz cars they all get given out to each team and then they all go racing and they all have the same your core fans your real true F1 fans would hate that, hate that idea. Would it make the racing sort of better? Probably. But you'd still get the best team making that car go faster than the second best team. So actually, it wouldn't change that much. Although it would probably change how often there would be a change of who wins and who finishes second, for example. So that's the only thing that would change. But the one thing to make it, I I always always go back to the human element part of it. And the technology in these F1 cars is unbelievable from the strategy that they have to all the data collection that they get on a Friday that they then sort of send back to the factory wherever they are in the world. Then it gets fired back again to do a different setup and they put it on the car and it's normally an improvement, etc., etc. So that's all, all great. But the technology in some ways for me sort of gets in the way of the human part of it. The best guy with the best brain who can adapt to all the different scenarios and conditions and decision making that you have to make in a in a formula one car so i would allow everything to happen what as we do today on friday i'd lo- allow everything to happen what what goes on on a saturday i would i would not allow radio communication on a sunday during a race because i want it the drivers deciding nice when I'm going to do my pit stop and everything else, so I, I, I'd like that. I'd like to see where the drivers have to. You speak. want the
1: drivers to make the calls on, you know, whether the hard tires better, the medium tires better. Do you think that would make it I more competitive would- though? Or Do you think that certain drivers that are just more, you know, maybe better at that, which it would open up the gap more? Do you think a Max yes, would then yes. dominate on a more regular basis? Yeah.
0: And that historically, Billy has always oh. been the case. The smart ones, if it was a Jimmy Clark, or if it was a Jackie Stewart, or if it was a Fitter or it was a Nicky Lauda, Nelson P K, Nigel Mansell, Wenton Seller, Alan Pross, Michael Schumacher, Damon Hill, you make a hack. It just goes on and, on and on and on and on. They had this capac- extra capacity to be able to sort of work out what was going on underneath them to then realise what they needed to do when they're in the car to get the car to the end of the race in the best possible best possible way. And that's a special skill. But at the moment, everybody's told the perfect scenario with all the data that we've got. And then they sort of apply that to a little bit like we had in Saudi Arabia where Sergio was sort of saying, why am I going at this pace? Effectively saying, well, I can go quicker, but I've been told I've got to do this pace at the, at the moment. Yeah,
1: so if he hadn't been told, yeah, you're yes, right.
0: Then, Then you've got to judge it. And the judgment is something that probably an engineer would probably not enjoy because obviously he wants to get a fixed scenario. But the human element is important as well because we are flawed as human. We do make mistakes. And sometimes you want a little bit of jeopardy being thrown into it. And humans, I think drivers can throw that jeopardy in. I think then it would be more competitive from that because there would be a little bit of a Change at every Grand Prix. Someone getting it right, someone getting it wrong. Winning a race, not winning a race, maybe finish fifteenth or whatever it may be for whatever reason. So yeah,
1: I like playing radios. It's an interesting point, mate. Yeah, interesting one. I I like it. I like it. So another load of yeah. brilliant questions there. Really enjoyed that one. Thanks to everyone who's been getting in touch.
0: And we'll be back on Tuesday where will have our full race debrief. So if you've got any questions about this weekend, or F1 in general, get in touch with us at Lift The Lid Pod.
1: There are no stupid questions. This is a safe space, so ask away. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. And can't wait to speak to you guys soon. Take care. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be.